Let's get at it. Let's grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table today and remember Christ's death for us through communion. It's uh, been a full morning. It's been a, a great morning of worship. And, and sometimes, like with communion, it takes some extra time. And do we cut a song? Do we not? I didn't want to cut a song. I wanted to just go and, and uh, sing theology to one another, sing of the greatness of our God. And then today also, we're going to finish up our current section of Ephesians, uh, where we've been doing a series in Ephesians. We're going through the whole book, but these past uh, few weeks, we're in chapter four. We, we've been looking at the first 16 verses, and we're looking at the identifying marks of a healthy church. And I wanted to ask, do you spend time praying for your church? Do you have, have a desire for Grace Bible Church to be healthy? I pray, and I'm hoping that the current text has awakened all of us within us, a desire to see our church be healthy. But also I want to remind each of us that Grace Bible Church will be a healthy church when we as individuals who make up Grace Bible Church are those who by the grace of God maintain our own individual spiritual health. If we as individuals aren't healthy, our church won't be healthy. And before we jump into our, our uh, final identifier, I want to look at the previous ones that we've looked at. When we look at the, the identity of a healthy church, and in the past few weeks, I started each point with this sentence. A healthy church is identified by, and our first one was spiritual unity. So a healthy church is identified by spiritual unity. And our second point was a healthy church is identified by spiritual gifts in action. But I was thinking this week as I was reflecting on the passage and I was studying, I could have easily entitled the current series, The Marks of a Healthy Believer. I could have done this and it would have stayed true to the text. Well, why am I saying this? Because again, I want to say this. This is so important. We as individuals, and we are the individuals who together make up the body of Christ and we are called to spiritual unity, and we are called to serve one another with our gifts. So we're all in this together. We can't look at Grace Bible Church and evaluate our strengths and our weaknesses without first looking at ourselves as individuals who make up our church. If Grace Bible Church isn't healthy, all of us must evaluate our own lives our own place, our own position within the church, from leadership on down, all the way to the occasional attendee, we bring our spiritual health into this body each week. And you bring it in the middle of the week to your small group. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to work within us first. Let's be a room full of people fully dedicated to the glory of Jesus Christ. And let us be a people corporately and individually, who are vigilant to submit to the Holy Spirit, who will desire to live in humility and gentleness and patience, that we will be people who bear with one another in love, that we will be a people in a church who are eager to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace. So you see, if we will be those who walk worthy according to the calling of which we've been called, when we live this way, our church will be strong. And our church will be strong, not by our might, not by our power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. He will work within us. 
So I pray that our church would be identified and marked by spiritual unity. And I also pray that our church would be one where our spiritual gifts, where all of us are working together in action for the glory of Christ. So we've seen that a healthy church is identified by spiritual unity. We've seen that a church is identified, a healthy church, by its members serving one another with their spiritual gifts in action. And today, we'll see our final identifier. Now, in the text, there are lots of identifiers throughout Scripture. But third, a healthy church is identified by spiritual maturity. Let's read our text, and then we'll jump into everything. We'll read chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. But pay, please pay particular attention to the verses in 7 through 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body in one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you see in our verses for today in verse 7, 7 through 16? Maturity, growing up. We are called by God and by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. We are called to be a people who are continually maturing into the people God has called us to be. Now, how would you define maturity? And how does society define maturity? Well, I looked it up in the dictionary, and I, I found it kind of funny that they use the word maturity to define maturity. One who is mature. Okay. Well, what is maturity? So I dug a little deeper. Maturity means readiness. It means being ready or being ripe. Like fruit. You know, right now I'm driving down Highway 25, 
and uh, we're getting close to my, one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, I'm watching the cherry trees. And I'm looking, I'm like, do we have a good crop this year? I'm, how loaded is it? You know, like last year, it was all, it was just so disappointing. I was looking and I'm like, there's not much red on that tree right now. It's not a good crop. But this year, they look pretty good. I'm like, hey, they're turning red. And I'm watching them. I'm watching for the cherries to be ready. Well, why? I'm waiting for the crop to mature so that the cherries are ready for their purpose. Well, what's the purpose of the cherry? It's to give me a stomach ache after I immaturely eat too many in one sitting. Right now, if we took the cherries, they would not taste good. But in a few weeks of maturing, they'll be sweet and ready to eat. Sometimes we wrongly define maturity with age. I think I have moments where I'm living proof of that. Uh, being in youth ministry for 25-something years, I could give you stories of youth pastor. Thankfully, by the way, the youth pastors we've had, maybe minus myself in this church, have been very mature. Uh, even Curtis in his young age, I learned so much from him. And uh, he, I count him as a good friend. And uh, we've been blessed with that. But I have stories if you want to hear them sometime. You know, sometime ask me about the world's largest root beer float in the new gym floor. And we'll just leave it at that. It did not go well, and he was not employed very long. Because sometimes youth pastors are known for a bit of immaturity. Sadly, I know a few 16-year-olds, you know, you know uh, we give an age for things. But there's some 16-year-olds who are not ready or mature enough to drive. There are some 30-year-olds who are not ready and mature enough to drive. How about this one? This movie is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Now, I don't want to uh, overgeneralize, but I'm going to say this. If a movie says that, there's a better than average chance that that theater is made up of quite a few immature people watching the mature movie. Now, I've watched other things where that warning is given there, and I do think maybe a, a World War II documentary should have that warning, shouldn't it? But should it be shown? Yes, we should not forget the sacrifice of the men who sacrificed for the freeing of Europe and Japan and, and uh, who fought for our freedom. But it's a mature subject, isn't it? Parents, we wait for maturity in our children before we allow them to do certain, certain tasks, don't we? I still remember the thrill of running the power lawnmower for the first time. Now, some of you fathers, I see your handsome young boys. You wouldn't let them anywhere near there yet, would you? They might be begging for it. Do you let your 10-year-old run the chainsaw? We don't do that. Do you have your 8-year-old babysit the kids? No, we wait for maturity so that they're ripe and ready to do what they're supposed to do. Paul is saying in our text, in our spiritual life, we need to mature. We need to be ripe and ready for the action, for the duties, for the worthy walk to which we've been called. And Paul is saying this, we need to grow up. We need to be mature. Look at verse 13. Until, so let's look at verse 12 just to get the a little. Um, verse 11, I'd rather start there. 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip us, to equip the saints for what? For ministry, for the work that we're called to do, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Do you see that? Verse 13. Now look at verse 14. Look at the contrast. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. We need to grow. We need to grow up. So as we serve within the church, as we do the work of the ministry, we are maturing and we are growing. No, we don't wait. This is important. We do not wait to serve within the church until we deem ourselves ready. Now, Scripture does warn us in terms of leadership not to lay hands upon someone too quickly. There are certain roles that we should wait and we watch and we affirm leadership. But the minute you're saved, we serve. You have the gift. You have giftedness given from God that we studied in the past week, and we start to serve. And there's so many things. Someone may never see cleaning the church, doing what God has called us to do, encouraging a brother or a sister. Some of you are generous, and you see a need, and you meet it. We need to start working, and by serving and working, we start to grow. We start to expand, and we start to see different things that God has equipped us to do. So don't make the mistake in that we wait for total and complete maturity before we start to serve. If we wait for total and complete maturity, will we ever serve? I am not total and completely mature. And so serving within the church is a way that we start to grow into maturity. So how do we properly identify spiritual maturity? What does spiritual maturity look like? I got four things. The first is this. Spiritual maturity is shown by Christ-likeness. When we are maturing spiritually, we will begin to look more and more like Jesus Christ. One who is spiritually mature is one who is continually moving in the direction of Christ-likeness. Spiritually mature are those who display the character of Jesus in their lives. Remember back in, chap uh, in this chapter, verses 2 and 3? Remember, Jesus was and is the perfect picture of what we're to be. He's the perfect picture of humility, gentleness, patience, love, and unity. And the term here is Christ-likeness or Christ-fullness. And verse 13 says this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And what is the goal? What is, what is the measurement of maturity? Our text tells us, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The measure and the goal is Jesus. Our goal, the goal of every believer is to become like Jesus, isn't it? want to be like anyone else. Anyone else won't be a good picture. It'll be a goal you could reach on your own, but with the power of the Holy Spirit, we start to mature and look like Jesus Christ. The goal of my life is to be like Jesus. 
And the goal of our lives together is for our church to be like Jesus. The second thing we see is this, that spiritual maturity is shown by doctrinal stability. Look at verses 13 through 14. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul's telling us that we need to grow in our knowledge of truth. And we see some terms. In verse 13, he says this, that the church equips and teaches until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Well, what is the unity of the faith? It's our doctrine. It's what we believe. It's what we hold on to. It's the pillars of Christianity. It's the deity of Christ. It's the supremacy and sovereignty of God. It's that man is dead in their sins, but in Christ we're made alive. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. These are the things that we hold on to firmly. It is that the Bible is the inspired, God-breathed word of God. There are more, but you understand what I'm saying. These are the things that we do not negotiate, that we say, this is what we believe. This is what we hold on to. And we have a unity of doctrine and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Well, what is that? That is growing in our knowledge of Christ. It's intellectual growth in our minds that moves to action. You see, we need to learn more of Christ, not just to become smarter, not to become better debaters in the world, but so that we would be equipped and working and moving in our knowledge, then we go and proclaim and go make disciples. It is not about winning arguments. It is about making disciples. And so we grow in knowledge. I don't want to belabor it too much, but have you ever been around someone who likes to grow in knowledge, but they leave everything else behind? Not good. Our knowledge moves us to Christ-likeness. Now, why would I say that? Why is it shown by intellectual growth and also our actions? In Philippians 3.10, it's a great verse. It says this, Paul is saying, that I may know Jesus in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Do you see that? That I may know Christ... So he says, I need to know in my mind, but do you share in sufferings just mentally? No. In the power of his resurrection, is that strictly intellectual knowledge? And then becoming like him in his death? No. Our knowledge of Christ means we become a living sacrifice. It means, as Jesus said, if any man wants to follow me, let him what? Take up his cross and follow me. So knowing Christ is way more than just factual knowledge. Knowing Jesus involves our whole life. Our mind is renewed in Christ and we become a people whose lives are a spiritual sacrifice to God. So we need to grow up. We need to mature into manhood. We need to become strong. We need to be ready. We need to be ripe. But then in verse 14, Paul says this, 
so that we need to become mature for this purpose, that we'll no longer be children. It's for a purpose that Paul places this statement in the midst of telling us to grow strong in our doctrine. How come? Why would Paul say, don't be a little child any longer? Why would he say that? Who are thrown around by every wind of doctrine. It's because of this. Little children are gullible. And sometimes older children are gullible. Do you know I have convinced junior hires that In-N-Out Burger has a secret menu? You know about that, the animal style and all that. Not on the menu. Do you know I have had junior hires go up and ask for the spicy, spicy chicken sandwich at In-N-Out Burger? When it first opened, I go, hey, order the spicy chicken sandwich. They'd be like, it's not on the menu. I go, well, neither is animal style. I'd like a double-double animal. Oh, yeah, okay. I go, see, animal style. I like the spicy chicken sandwich. And then I'd start laughing. <laughs> They're kind of gullible. That's true. That's what I'm saying. I think. Yes, I know. Hey, I got the idea because a friend of mine did the same thing to his youth group. Kids in the youth group, they know I do this. And I love it when someone new comes in. I'll see them eating something common. Are those french fries? They look pretty good. I've never had those. What? You've never had a french fry? I'd sure like to try one. Is that popcorn? I heard it's good, is it? Ice cream? And for a few minutes, man, they fall for it. <laughs> Children are gullible and easily deceived. And by the way, as parents and as youth pastors, we need to be careful with that, don't we? We need to model Christ-like behavior. We need to be the ones who tell the truth. And we'll actually study that here coming up. But we can be gullible and easily deceived just like children. So we need to grow in our faith. We need to grow in our doctrine. I'm telling you, false teachers can and they do and they will move into a church and they start tossing people around. False teachers pray, P-R-E-Y, like a vulture, like a lion. Not pray like P-R-E-Y on your knees. They pray and they look for the gullible and the weak. And they say things like, yeah, there's nothing real special about the Bible. Jesus was just a man like you and me. He wasn't God. God doesn't judge sin. And sometimes they get kind of close. God is love. And they leave out everything else. Well, a loving God wouldn't send someone to hell. A holy God would. A just God would. And he does. They leave out the whole counsel of scripture. And sometimes it sounds pretty close. If you're a good person, you'll go to heaven. All roads lead to heaven. You see, we come along children as our children as they grow up. We live alongside of them. We correct them. We encourage them. And we teach them. And like we do with our children, as children of God, we need to be taught. We enter this Christian life as babies, don't we? 
Now, some of us maybe are fortunate to grow up in a Christian home and you're in church your whole life and God calls you to salvation maybe in your teenage years or earlier. And there's a, a wealth of knowledge that then the Holy Spirit uses and, and there may be, by God's grace, some extra maturity that instantly happens because you know God's word and you've been taught it. But others of us, hey, can you imagine getting saved at 45, 50 years old? There's a lot to undo. And so we need to have our minds renewed in all of us. We enter the Christian life immature and as babies, but we grow into Christ-likeness. And brothers and sisters, we help each other do that. We grow through the teaching of God's work, of God's word. We start taking bigger doctrine. We start taking solid food. We embrace it and we grow into maturity. Who then will be someone who then teaches others and also makes disciples. A couple verses. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3. In Hebrews, it says this, and this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing, what they want to explain is how great Christ is, that he's the great high priest, that he's the supreme, supreme overall. It says it's hard to explain, and it's even harder since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The writer of Hebrews wants us to grow up and Paul in our passage is telling us to no longer be children. We need to mature. Third, third spiritual maturity involves truth joined together with love. Look at verse 15 through 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that builds, so that it builds itself up in love. My friends, we are called to present the gospel. We are called to proclaim the truth to others. And that proclamation and this message should always be presented in love. We proclaim and we hold high the truth. And we contend, even as we talked about last week, we contend earnestly for the faith delivered once for all. But we also remember that love is to be central in our proclamation. I heard it said one time in regards to speaking the truth in love, 
If love isn't there, there is no truth. Makes sense. Because if there is no love, it means we're adding our own humanness into it. Maybe our anger, our own flesh enters in. Speak the truth in love. (coughs) Spiritual maturity is being a truth teller. Being mature is being one who maintains the truth, but we do it in love. I pray that we're known as a church and a people who are faithful to God's word. That we as Grace Bible Church are known as a church that faithfully proclaims and teaches the whole counsel of God without apology. I also equally hope that they would say of us, they love each other like family. That they love their neighbors as themselves. I pray that people who disagree with our doctrine, and I pray that as I disagree with other people's doctrine, I pray that they will see within me a great love for them. As we minister, as we proclaim the gospel, let us be a people who are known for truth and known for love. You and me as we live our lives. Let us also be a church that is known for truth, but also known for love. Hey, you look at Christian Christianity out there. There's some goofiness. Don't joke about it. Pray for them. And what is the best combat that we would have for churches that look off? We proclaim our truth. We proclaim the word of God. And pray that the Holy Spirit will work in their lives. Pray that they're in the scriptures and that the Holy Spirit will enlighten their eyes as he has. Guess what? We're all growing into maturity. But I think it's sad sometimes that we joke or we we tend to bash sometimes. Hey, do I disagree? Uh, I'm close to naming names here and I'm I'm not going to. There are churches and teachers I disagree with. There are some who I do believe are false teachers. There are some who I do believe proclaim the gospel, but it's not my flavor. It's not my understanding of scripture. But in love, I'm called to teach you God's word. And I'm in in love, I'm called to pray for them. In love, I pray that they change. Guess what? My doctrine is not the same as when I was 20 years old. I have grown in that area. And that could be, I'm 47, almost 48. If the Lord decides, 20 years, my doctrine could grow also. Because all of us, what are we doing? We're growing into maturity. Let us be a gracious and loving people with those we differ with. But we stand for the truth. So what do we do? What's the best way to fight a, find a counterfeit? Do you know how they train bankers? Handle the real thing. So if we handle God's word properly, if you're in God's word during the week, something comes on TV, you'll know. You'll be like, oh, whoa, wait, back up. You go, I don't think that's what God's word says. And you go to God's word. That's part of maturing and growing. Let us be known for truth without compromise. Let us be known for love without compromise. And finally, spiritual maturity is a body working together. 
I love this metaphor. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are called the body of Christ. Every member, every Christian is a limb in the body of Christ. If you are part of the body of Christ, if you are saved by the grace of God, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are important. You are necessary. We need you. We need each other. And maturity tells us that we do not go through this life, through our spiritual journey, in Christ-like, going, moving towards Christ-likeness. We do not do it alone. You ever seen an immature child? What do they say? I'll do it myself. Remember that? They're learning to dress themselves. I'll do it myself. What happens? The clothes are inside out. Shoes are on the wrong feet. Socks are nowhere to be found. It could be 20 degrees outside and they'll be in shorts. Why are you in that? I like them. That's not wise. Don't be that child. Don't be that one. I'll do it myself. Let's be the body of Christ, working and moving and ministering to each other and together. We need each other. We need to work together for the glory of Jesus Christ. What is our ultimate need? It's Jesus. We need Jesus. We need to grow into him. And he is the head. He's the life source of the church. We're joined together with Christ. And when we are joined, we start working properly. We grow and the body builds itself up in love. And it's awesome to be united to Christ and to one another. We're all necessary. Last week, we looked at passages in Romans, 1 Corinthians. And I've, some of you, I've told this story before, but I think it works. I had a friend. Name was Reggie. Reggie in Little League, so about 11, 12 years old, was moving his couch. And he dropped the couch in bare feet on his big toe. And he shattered his big toe. They amputated it. Reggie was a pitcher. When, I keep saying Reggie. When he came back, he couldn't pitch well. Missing a big toe. You think, ah, eh, no big deal. He should be able to pitch. You heard my pitching story. I always begged to pitch. You heard that last week. But did you know, about right here, you come back, right about right here, pretty much your whole weight is loaded where? On your big toe. And he was out of balance. Something as small as a big toe being amputated made him ineffective in pitching. Any of you ever hurt your thumb? How'd your life go that day? What were you focusing on? Your thumb. When your thumb doesn't work, how'd you do tying your shoes? Like, I need my Vans, bring the slip-ons, I need the flip-flops. How'd you do brushing your teeth? Then you have, what if you do it on like your dominant hand? You're like left-handed 
trying to brush your hair. You're like, hey, my part's on the opposite side today. What happened? You're all needed. We have different roles. Some are public, some are private. But together, part of our spiritual maturity is serving one another. We need each other. It's awesome when the body of Christ is working properly and we're growing and we're building ourselves up or the church is building itself up in love. It's awesome to be united to Christ and to be united with one another. So let us be a church. Let us be a people who are known for these things, that we're known for spiritual unity, that we're known as a church where we use our giftedness for the glory of Christ and for the edification and building up of one another. Let us be a people in a church where we are continually maturing spiritually and becoming more like Jesus Christ as individuals and as a church. Let us be a people who by the power of the Holy Spirit grow into those who walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called.